Good morning, friends. Peace be with you. Our text today comes from Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 to 34. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you live in the River Wards neighborhoods, you probably know the difficulty that it is finding a parking spot. Uh, my wife Katie and I have lived in Kensington for two years, and before that we were in Port Richmond for nine months. And uh, people often ask me what the hardest part of living in Kensington is, and ironically I say, well, the parking, because we have to find a spot that is blocks away, and if something is within a two-block radius, that is a good parking spot. And about two months ago, after about two years of not finding a good spot, I'm walking home and my neighbor, Tyrone, stops me. And I'm about to say my normal greeting, hey Tyrone, how are you today, how is work? And he doesn't let me say any of it. Instead, he quickly says, I just sold my car and I put these cones out because I, I want you and your wife to have this spot. I automatically said, yes, absolutely, we will, we will take it. Uh, and he went on to explain, in a few months I'll get a car, but until then, I feel bad when I see your wife having to walk after she parked who knows where, and your wife is my nurse, and your buddy that lives down the street is my doctor, and I, I want you to have this spot. And then Tyrone said the five words that will stick with me for the rest of my life. He said, put your cones out, bro. And my cones have indeed been out. But in that moment, there was an oath. In that moment, there was a covenant. In that moment, there was a, uh, just a blessing from one neighbor to another. Uh, Tyrone poured out his generosity over me and Katie. We were blessed by our neighbor. And, and similarly, that's what we see happening in our text this morning. There is an oath between two men, but much more than this, there's an oath happening between two neighbors. The first man is Abimelech, who we learned about in Genesis chapter 20 a few weeks ago. He is the king of Gerar, which is a city in the land of the Philistines. And the second man is Abraham, who we have been following since Genesis chapter 12. 
And again, just more than this being an oath between two men, we see in this text an oath between two neighbors. Our text begins with Abimelech and Fakol, the commander of the army, coming to Abraham for the purpose of asking for a treaty of kindness. We can kind of get the sense that Abimelech doesn't know how this is going to go, considering the fact that he brought Abimelech, the commander of the army, yet he hoped that he would be receiving kindness. In verse 23, Abimelech says, Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with this land where you have sojourned. The use of the past tense, I have dealt kindly with you, takes us back to Genesis chapter 20. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but that's where we first met King Abimelech of Gerar from the land of the Philistines. Abraham and Sarah were sojourning, and they come to this land of Gerar, and we see an instance again of Abraham saying of Sarah, she is my sister, for the purpose of protection with the motive of fear. She is my sister. And so Abimelech sent for Sarah, but God revealed to Abimelech in a dream that she was a married woman. And instead of Abimelech treating with Abraham with contempt, as maybe he should have, Abimelech deals very kindly with Abraham. He pours out blessing and favor upon Abraham. He gave him sheep and oxen, 1,000 pieces of silver, servants, and most importantly, the ability to dwell in his own land. Abimelech dealt kindly with Abraham, and now Abimelech is requesting that Abraham deal kindly with him. As I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Abraham agrees to these terms and yet quickly turns to reprove Abimelech. I don't know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. And then we see the oath take place. And much more than the oath taking place, we see the oath in motion. Here's the oath taking place in verse 27. Abraham took sheep and oxen, and he gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. That should have been the stopping point. The covenant is made. They can go their separate ways. No need for Fakol, the commander of the army, to intervene. But Abraham doesn't just make an oath. Instead, he puts the oath into motion. Abraham then takes seven ewe lambs and presents them to Abimelech. And Abimelech, we get the sense that he's a little caught off guard by this. What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? This isn't normal. This isn't customary. Why are you going above and beyond what this covenant is that we just made? In reality, when Abimelech was coming originally to Abraham asking for kindness. The Hebrew word has connotations that's far much more deep than niceness. He didn't just want a nice neighbor. Abimelech was desiring loyalty and faithfulness and favor. Abimelech desired a really good neighbor. And that's what we see Abraham doing by pouring out these ewe lambs upon Abimelech. He was venturing into uncharted territory and this 
amazing kindness, this extraordinary grace to the neighbor, even caught the neighbor, Abimelech, off guard. What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs? Much deeper yet is in this, we're seeing the fulfillment of God's original promise to Abraham. If we think back to Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, who had no children at the time, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in chapter 21, we have experienced the complete fulfillment of this whole promise from chapter 12. I will make of you a great nation, yet at that time he was 75 years old with no children and the ability to not have children. And yet at the beginning of chapter 21, we see, Abraham, I'm sorry, we see Isaac born, this promise fulfilled. And now we experience the fulfillment of the second promise of God. I will bless you and make your name great for the purpose of being a blessing. And that's what Abraham is doing. When he richly blesses Abimelech, there is incredible selflessness in this moment, not just because Abraham is pouring out his own belongings, but this is now Isaac's inheritance. He is taking from his own son and says, I am blessed for the purpose of blessing. Have this, these lambs. The place is named Beersheba, which means well of oath or well of seven. And the name Beersheba is very interesting because it's not being named in this moment Beersheba. Rather, we see in verse 14 of this chapter that it's already been named Beersheba. When Hagar and Ishmael were sent away from Abraham, our text tells us in verse 14 that Hagar and Ishmael went to wander in the desert of Beersheba. This city already existed. It was already named Beersheba. So Abraham and Abimelech were not renaming the place as much as they were fulfilling the existing name Beersheba, well of oath. It is then worth considering how we might aim to not rename Philadelphia. Instead, seek about ways to fulfill the existing name of Philadelphia. It's worth taking time to consider how we might aim to make this place a city of brotherly love. That is the whole purpose of the text. It's the whole purpose of the sermon. If we wanted to, we could close up and go home and go to brunch and it would be nice, but there's much more nuance to go through. But the whole point is this, being such a loving neighbor that the name of the city is fulfilled. For Abraham, that meant fulfilling Beersheba, the well of oath. And for us, we're giving an invitation to fulfill Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. two points for our text this morning, proximity and sojourning. By proximity, I mean living in close relationship with God, the distance in which our relationship to God is, that is proximity. And by sojourning, I mean intentionally remembering that you and I and we are sojourners. So first proximity. 
If we think back to what we have learned about Abraham since chapter 12, like many of us, he has had some really good moments. And like many of us, he has some really bad moments. And it's really beautiful that our text doesn't just gloss over the bad things. Instead, it includes them so that we can know that Abraham was not a perfect man, but he was called in spite of it, just like us. Some good examples of Abraham's life. He followed God to a land he did not know. When God called him in chapter 12, Abraham did not know where this sojourning would take him. Rather, God just said, let's pick up and let's go to a land that I will give to you and your descendants. He trusted that God would provide him and Sarah a child even though at the time of the promise they were 75 years old, and it was another 25 years of waiting, yet he trusted. When God came in the form of travelers, Abimelech waited on them, he served them, and throughout our text we see Abraham continually making altars as a form of praise to God. And these are all outcomes of Abraham living in close proximity to God. This vertical relationship was in near proximity. And from nearly cover to cover, our Bible references Abraham as a man of faith. The words Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness are repeated throughout our Old and New Testament. In Abraham's proximity to God has had positive impacts on those that he is closest to. But at the same time, Abraham has had some many not so great moments. Like Stephen mentioned, I'm a chaplain at the Whosoever Gospel Mission, and we are there for the purpose of serving men who are homeless. Many of them struggle with addiction. Many of them come straight from prison. And I have just the joy and honor to be able to uh, be a biblical counselor, which means I just help people to think biblically and theologically about their past and their present and the hope for the future. And sometimes that means having to have some hard conversations. Sometimes that means having to notice the subtext of what's going on in their lives and say, these are the themes and the themes and habitual sins in which Satan has put as a stumbling block before you. And if Abraham came into my counseling office and he told me his whole life story, I would look him in the eye and I'd push the tissues a little bit closer and say, Abraham, I love you. And it's because of that love that I need to tell you, you fear man more than you fear God. You are pretty impatient. And at times you even show contempt for God's plans and his will. Some moments that we see these things played out in Abraham's life. After God had promised Abraham that he would give he and Sarah a child, Abraham took matters into his own hands and had a child with a woman who was not Sarah, and that did not go too well and had negative effects on Hagar and on Ishmael and on Abraham and on Sarah. It benefited nobody, and in that we see his patience and even contempt for God's plans and God's will. And in two instances, first in Egypt and then we saw it in chapter 20 in Gerar, Abraham lied that Sarah was his sister because of fear in order to protect himself. 
even though it caused others to stumble. And in that, we see him fearing man more than he fears God. We've talked in previous sermons about how at these moments, Abraham was not living in close proximity to God. He either left the area in which God told him to stay, or he was running ahead of God and making his own plans. And they had negative impacts on those that he was closest to, because for Abraham and for us, there is a direct correlation between our proximity to God and how we treat our neighbors. Abimelech is very aware of this. Notice how he approaches Abraham in verses 22 to 23. God is with you in all that you do, pointing to this vertical relationship between God and Abimelech. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, now pointing to the horizontal relationship between Abraham and and Abimelech. Both relationships are in play here. Both are in motion here. Thanks be to God, Abimelech is having this conversation with Abraham while Abraham is living in deep, close proximity to the Lord. In the first section of chapter 21, we read about the birth of Isaac, as we have already alluded to. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. This son that God has promised to them, they have been waiting for 25 years. This season of waiting for 25 years, finally the son is here in our very chapter. It's fair to imply that they would be in a season of joy. They would be in a season of thanksgiving before the Lord. In our second section of chapter 21, we see Abraham act righteously and in obedience to God. Sarah comes to Abraham, and she wants to send away Hagar and Ishmael. And at first, we see Abraham's response, and we see righteousness in it. Our text tells us that this was very displeasing to Abraham. But God then intervenes, and he speaks to Abraham, and he tells him to do whatever Sarah tells him to do, and that he will be with the child because he is Abraham's son. And Abraham responds in obedience to God and obedience to his wife. At the end of our own story in verse 33, Abraham, when all is said and done, points the glory and the honor back to the Lord. Verse 33 tells us that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Not taking any credit for himself, but redirecting all honor, all glory, all credit to the everlasting God. And in our next chapter, we will see Abraham's obedience and commitment to God, even at great personal cost. Obedience and commitment to the point that when God tells him to sacrifice his son Isaac, whom he has waited for for decades, Abraham obeys until God tells him not to. Forgive me for the spoiler for next week. But all of the context clues surrounding our passage tell us that Abraham is living in close proximity to relationship with God, the obedience, the commitment, the fulfilled promise, all of this signifies that Abraham is at a moment and a season in which he is close to the Lord. And we, we experience this principle of proximity throughout all of Scripture. We see it here in Abraham and how he treats Abimelech. We sense it on the night that Jesus is betrayed 
he takes a water basin and he washes his disciples' feet. And after he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of one another. First being that Jesus washes his, my feet and then I am able and willing and motivated to go out and wash the feet of others. And we sense it in John's first epistle, chapter 419, where he just summarizes all of this and says, we love because he first loved us. That first God loves us and then we have the motive and the ability to go out and love others. And that begs the question, how has God loved us? He gave of himself in the incarnation. Jesus taking on flesh is the epitome of good neighboring, that not wanting to leave us dead in our transgressions, he took on flesh and said, I will be with them and serve them and go to the cross for them and resurrect for them and ascend for them because I want them to be with me. Good neighboring at its heart leads to reconciliation with God. And because of God's love for us, we have the opportunity and the invitation to love our neighbors as ourself. And there's something really refreshing about a neighbor who really loves Jesus. And I think that's why Mr. Rogers played such a vital role in all of our childhoods. I can't say awe, but about 50 faces just went, oh, Mr. Rogers, good times. A loving Christian who wears nice cardigans and speaks gently, there's something comfortable and peaceful and inviting about someone like that. And even for Mr. Rogers, it wasn't just a one-off. It was his faith. He was, in fact, a Presbyterian minister, and his ministry was via television to me and probably to you. And it was effective. There's a level of familiarity and comfort and peace when in the presence of a Mr. Rogers-type Christian neighbor. Friends, this is the neighboring principle of proximity. Abraham neighbored well because he was in close relationship with God. And it's helpful to think of ourselves as empty cups. And we are to be full and overflowing with the essence of God. And it's that excess, the overflowing, that then goes to others. But if we're not connected to the source, we start just giving of ourselves. And Lord, help us. Sometimes we run dry and empty and maybe you find yourself here this morning as someone who believes that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But in this season, there's some distance between yourself and God. As the father of the prodigal son ran to his son, as the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one, I promise you there is still time and opportunity for proximity to the Lord. And he desires it. He wants it even today. And if you find yourself here this morning as someone who is merely curious about this Christian faith, there's also an invitation for you in this text. And that invitation is to be an Abimelech, to be sort of an accountability partner for those who follow the way, to be able to come to us and say, God is with you and all that you do. Now, therefore, deal kindly with us, your neighbor, paraphrasing the words of Mother Teresa, may our lives be the best sermon that an unbeliever will ever hear. This is point one, the principle of proximity. For Abraham and for us, there is a direct correlation between our proximity to the Lord and how we treat our neighbors.
and now sojourning. Abraham is referred to as a sojourner twice in this passage. And we learn based on chapter 12 that Abraham is not in his homeland. Rather, God called him out and sent him on a sojourning to the promised land. A sojourner is a temporary resident, and we see Abraham residing temporarily in many places in these chapters. And eventually, he settles in the land of the Philistines, where we find him in our text today. This place is called Beersheba, but here's the thing about Beersheba. It will soon become the southernmost city of the promised land. There will be a common expression in the Hebrew Bible in our Old Testament from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south. He is living already in the land that has been promised to his descendants, and yet he is still a sojourner. Even though Abraham is living in the promised land, the place that he was supposed to sojourn to, the Bible still calls him a sojourner. The reality for Abraham and for me and for you is that we are all sojourners. This time and this place that the Lord has called us to, it is temporary. We are temporary residents. And the beautiful thing about our text is that our sojourning is contrasted beautifully with Abraham calling on the name of the everlasting God because God has long been at work in the river wards. God has long been at work in Fishtown, in Port Richmond, in Northern Liberties, and Kensington. The Lord has been at work, yet he gives us the privilege of being a sojourning neighbor in these places. But even though Abraham was a sojourner, he still planted himself and he still put roots. We see in verse 33 that Abraham calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and then he plants a tamarisk tree. Abraham was planting literal and figurative roots in this land because this tree would take decades to mature. And he's saying, in 30 years, I'm going to enjoy its shade. In 30 years, my flock is going to enjoy the soft branches. In 30 years, I will still be here, a neighbor to Abimelech. And even though we are sojourners on this earth, even though we are sojourners in this city and in the river wards, we're given an invitation through Abraham's example to settle, to plant roots, to be a good neighbor, because the Lord has placed us here. This is point to the principle of sojourning. And what better place to do these things than right here in the river wards? Throughout um, church history, followers of Jesus have desired to neighbor well. And 2,000 years later, we even hear it echoed in our mission statement as we seek to live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus in our neighborhoods. Jesus, our Lord, affirms this model of neighboring. A Pharisee once came to Jesus and asked him what the greatest commandment is, to which Jesus replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the first and great commandment. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In another passage, a different Pharisee agrees that these are the two greatest commandments, and yet he wants to justify himself, and he comes to Jesus and says, and who is my neighbor? Jesus then tells a really beautiful story about a man who was traveling on the Jericho Road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers who beat him and left him half dead. 
a priest comes and sees this man and passes on the other side. So too, a Levite sees the man and passes to on the other side until finally a Samaritan man comes and Jesus says he had compassion on him and he nursed him back to health. And this story closes out with Jesus asking him, who do you think is the neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? To which the Pharisee replied, the man who had compassion. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And like this man who fell among robbers on the Jericho Road, there are tangible, immediate needs that the Lord wants us to be a part of. He wants us to bring alleviation and hope to these circumstances. But in Dr. King's sermon on the Good Samaritan, he explains that we absolutely need to be on the Jericho Road. We need to be triaging that. We need to be helping and nursing those who have been beaten and downtrodden. But at a certain point, we need to stop and ask ourselves, how can we change this road so that people are no longer beaten, so that people are no longer victimized or oppressed? What are the systematic things at play? And I can't tell you what to do in your neighborhood or on your block, but here are some things going on in Kensington. In Kensington, this means that we carry Narcan in our cars and in our bags and in our backpacks because this small medicine has the power to save a life. And PSA, you can get it out Rite Aid today, and it's free through most health insurance carriers and has the ability to save a life, and that is us on the Jericho Road. But at the same time, we also have to think about the bigger picture of addiction and homelessness and trauma and mental health. And we dream of a bright Kensington future. In our community, that means that we blacksmith guns into garden tools and into jewelry. Because one gun off of our street is one gun off of our street. But at the same time, we pray for peace and we advocate and we mourn and we dream of a bright Kensington future. So the question I want to leave you with is what about your block? What are the immediate needs that need to be triaged at this moment? And at the same time, what are the dreams? What are the hopes? What does the future look like in this city of brotherly love? And what talents and what skills and what abilities do your neighbors bring to the table? This comes through relationships and conversations with those in your community, and it does not hurt to learn their names. So as you go out today, my friend, may you desire to neighbor well by first being poured into by the Lord. We need deep proximity to Jesus. And may you desire to neighbor well by remembering that this life and this place and this opportunity is temporary because we are sojourners we end how Abimelech began his treaty to Abraham. The Lord is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, deal kindly with your neighbor. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.